Rangers, this is Zordon. It's time for another episode of the Canned Air Podcast. All right, it's Morphin Time! Welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And joining us today, returning to the show, third time returning, is on his way to that free sub that we always promise all of our returning guests. Uh, from Fear in the Tramp, we welcome comic creator uh, Sean McArdle back to the show. Sean, thanks so much for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I love having you guys on. Uh, tip, you and John typically come on, but you both are always so fucking entertaining. I'm very okay. excited for a good episode today. Oh, now, now there's pressure. <laughs> you know, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, that started to realize, like, it came over me, like, oh shit, I put some serious pressure on this guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, John's busy uh, celebrating his birthday. I mean, Jesus Christ, what a demon. What an asshole, man. <laughs> uh, like, Spending time with us, bam, Jesus. This is canned air. Fuck your birthday, John. <laughs> no, happy birthday to John. Uh, wish you were here, but understand why you're not, man. But we'll get you back next time. Good show lined up for you today in our retro roundtable. We're going to be talking about our uh, some of our favorite underdogs from uh, throughout pop culture. I imagine Underdog himself will probably be on that list, being it's his namesake. We'll see, I guess. Then we're going to turn our attention over to Sean and talk uh, about what he's been up to with Fury and the Tramp. But before we do any of that, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And uh, head over to CandairPodcast.com. If you're wanting to uh, you know, support the show, represent the show, first of all, we have a merch page, T-shirts, tote bags, mugs, all that happy horse shit with our logo on it. You can rep us. Uh, at at your expense. That's not a great sales pitch, but what am I supposed to do? Uh, we'll we'll roll with it. <laughs> and then you can roll over to Patreon if your if your T-shirt isn't your bag. You can head over to Patreon. Five dollars a month gets you access to the Candare Patreon Pod. Ten dollars a month not only gets you that, gets you access to a lot of other digital content, as well as on the list uh, for merch to be uh, sent to you uh, in three month intervals. So lots of cool stuff happening there. Check it out, Randy. What am I forgetting? First of all, your boys are now on the Evergreen Podcast Network, so go on over to evergreenpodcast.com. Check out us, check out all the other great shows, um, and yeah, I'm just uh, really excited with all that. And then if you're in the central Ohio area, or don't mind the drive, September 25th, uh, we are going to be hosting the Korg Gaming Expo uh, in central Ohio, uh, specifically at the uh, in Lewis Center, the Super Kick facility. So toys, comics, video games, super, uh, there's going to be a Dr. Mario tournament uh, with cash money prize. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Are you serious? Cash money yep. prize for Dr. Mario. I think I might be able to do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going to be a blast. So please uh, come check us out. And uh, you can go to torgevents.com. That's T-O-R-G uh, to find out more and get your uh, pre-reg ticks. There it is. Very thorough, Randy. Good job. I think that's everything, so let's kick it off with this week's Retro Roundtable. Do it! Do it! Come on! I'm here! Come on! Do it now! Grass! Taste bad! 
All right, our favorite or most memorable underdogs from throughout pop culture. Randy, kick us off, would you? All right, I'm going to kick us off with an actual, like, real live event here. I'm going to go with D. Snyder and the uh, 1984 congressional hearing. Wow, that is a deep cut. (laughs) (laughs) So for uh, anybody young enough not to know what the hell I'm talking about, basically in uh, 1984, there was a parental group called the Parents Music Resource Center, uh, and they listed 15 musicians. Uh, They called them the 15. Filthy 15 that basically thought that they were uh, offensive to the kids and the music was unwholesome and stuff like that. Just typical, you know, holier-than-thou bullshit stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of those bands, uh, and the bands included like Madonna, ACDC, Prince was on there, but one of them was Twisted Sister. So they asked if Dee Snider would be willing to come and testify. And uh, pretty much just underestimated, thinking he was just some dumb rocker. And he kind of knew that going in and came dressed like he was getting ready to go on stage. So he had his like snakeskin boots and his jean jacket and, you know, his coiffed hair down to his shoulders and just totally looking like the, the dumb rocker they were assuming he was and sits down and pulls out his freaking speech. He was like working weeks in advance on and just literally verbally obliterates everybody. He goes in this 10 minute, just like mic drop, logically shutting down everything they were saying. And at the end, he's like, hey, can I get a glass of water? <laughs> Is this on uh, YouTube in some fashion or anything? Yeah, if you search uh, D. Snyder uh, 1984 congressional hearing, it's about a half hour. But it's literally just him delivering the speech and then him going back and forth, just like burning the uh, all, all the uh, congressmen that were there, especially Al Gore, who his wife, Tipper Gore, was kind of the head of this. When Al Gore started questions, he was like, so are you going to tell me you're a fan of my music too? <laughs> just <laughs> just totally shutting everybody down. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a thing of beauty. They I'm totally... excited to watch that. I, and I've been looking for more reasons to like Dee Snyder. No, I'm just kidding. I, I like Dee Snyder, but, <laughs> but it sounds interesting as hell. It honestly does. I, uh, I think I will be watching that probably tonight. But just, I know how you know intimidating that could be just i mean shit going to get your license renewed is intimidating enough let alone a congressional hearing so all right let's cut over to sean what you got man best or favorite underdog well i'm way less prepared i guess (laughs) i was gonna kind of riff so uh yeah he kind of killed me on that one um all right because he was in one of the ones i was going to mention and you've got the um, I don't know, the bandana there hanging from your uh, mic stand. Uh, yeah, it's, I was going to go with Karate Kid, but since oh. we're uh, since we're talking about uh, D. Snyder, then let's go Johnny, because he's the new underdog, right? There you go. Watch Cobra Kai. They, they flipped the script on that, and yeah. uh, D. Snyder's in that. <laughs> so there, yeah. we'll, we'll bring it all together. D. Snyder shows up in, what was it, season two, three? Oh, uh, no yeah. shit. I, oh, I haven't yeah. gotten to season three yet. Are you serious? These oh, Snyder's in. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, no, no, no. I'd, I'd give a shit about that. I'm just excited to know that Dee Snyder's in it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. when you get it's like a, like a, they, uh, they go to a concert, a Twisted mm-hmm. Sister concert. And I think it's just a Dee Snyder concert, actually. I don't think it's actually Twisted Sister. Uh, I think you're He's right. Yeah. yeah. And he, like, he has a little cameo and comes over and talks to him and stuff. Um, but. God damn that show, right? Yeah, like, it's a good it's, show. It's ridiculous. Some of the best writing I have seen. Like, I know. Forever. 
Yeah. Did I you mean, ever feel when you watched those original Karate Kid films that you would feel for, uh, help me, I can't even remember his name Johnny, now. Johnny? Yes, Johnny. Um, no, I mean, Johnny was an asshole. Exactly. I mean, Johnny, Johnny was the kid that you hated in the 80s. Yes. I mean, I was right at that perfect pocket for like being in a Karate Kid. That, you know, as what, fifth grade? Sixth grade, whenever yeah. Karate Kid came out, everybody's doing crane kicks out on the playground and stuff. <laughs> you know? uh, <laughs> and Karate Kid was the jam back then. Uh, oh, fuck and, yeah. You know, I loved Karate Kid too. And, it, you know, it really holds up. And three, not so much. But, uh, yeah, so whenever, whenever it came out on YouTube, I actually got the YouTube subscription just to watch. Because th that trailer and that, uh, that premise was just... That was fire, you know. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Truly. Yeah. Flip the script and making Johnny the 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 underdog and seeing Daniel as like the bully, but the, they played it so much better than that because, um, you know, it's like having dual protagonists. You know, mm -hmm. they they don't have to undercut Daniel and make Daniel out to be some sort of asshole. Daniel's just Daniel, and and uh, Johnny's just Johnny. They were just two kids, just just like everybody you you were enemies with in high school and then you know 20 years later you bump into them it's like what the fuck was a problem you know yeah yeah, yeah. uh for and, whatever reason you know and the, and the thing was you see that johnny was just a dork just like daniel you know he wasn't he, he really wasn't that cool and he you know he really wasn't rich he was a stepdad and you know you see all of the problems that he goes through but it's such a smartly written script that they take mm -hmm. every plot point and flip it in a way that you don't expect. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, it it uh, it's it's just very well constructed and still can be like one of those cheesy CW teen shows, but you still get into it because you just love everybody. I mean, you love everybody on that cast. There are some remarkable moments in that show too of real like uh, drama and catharsis, especially with Daniel going back and thinking about Mr. Miyagi and stuff. And, oh, yeah. um, so damn good. So damn good. But yeah, I would go with Karate Kid. Johnny is, is like one of the greatest and you know, it, it's written direct or it's directed by, oh shit. I, it, the name just slipped me. Same guy who directed Rocky because I was going to say Rocky. Okay. No, I'd go Karate Kid. Oh, yeah. No, but, I know what uh, you mean because that show, you know, uh, into the first season, I don't remember how long it lasted, if it lasted the entire first season or changed in the second, but you're right. When the show first came out, it's like, oh, Daniel's an asshole now. But it's, you know, when you start watching it, it's not that simple. You know, there's a lot more layers to it. Daniel doesn't end up, you know, being an asshole. I don't know. I don't want to spoil too much yeah. for people who haven't heard it. But it, there's, it, like you said, it's it's constantly taking what you're expects, expecting is going to happen and kind of twisting it a little bit. You know what I mean? And man, really high level. But uh, YouTube really shit the bed on that one. Because I I was like Sean I like I signed up for the free, free trial and just like binge watched the first season and then I'm like fuck it I'm not paying twenty bucks a month for this because it was literally like the only thing YouTube it was had. The only thing it was that a bunch of shitty reality shows yeah 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 and it's for like YouTubers. they did two seasons and I think Netflix bought it out which thank God because oh yeah it had to be far more, more profitable. For Netflix to buy it from them, like for from YouTube's perspective, then to keep producing the show. Yeah, it's a great show. I'm sure it was getting good ratings for YouTube. But again, when that's your only, you know, semi hit that you have and that a bunch of shitty reality shows, it's it, at the same time, maybe it just 
made better business deal. Like, all right, let's just sell it to Netflix. Let's, you know, we'll get more money. Yeah, well, I think that they changed their business model. I don't think they're doing that kind of like making their own shows anymore. I'm not completely sure on that. But man, it, it was it was kind of so. So you watched it too on the original run, and mm-hmm. you're trying to tell everybody about how good Karate Kid the TV show is, and everybody's like, "You're an idiot," you know. And it's like, no, it's really freaking good. And, which uh, which was followed by, "It's free if you cancel after the first thirty days." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then it comes on Netflix, and everybody that you you know you, you, I was telling two years ago about this show suddenly watched it and are talking about it, how it's the best thing that they've seen, and they've been <laughs> on the entire weekend. It's kind of like whenever you know back when I was a freshman and get my ass kicked for wearing flannel and listening to Nine Inch Nails, and then seeing <laughs> here those same assholes that were you know pushing me into the locker are now dressing in flannel and listening to Nine Inch Nails. It's like, Jesus Christ, that was mine. <laughs> you know, I was here first, damn it. I was here first. <laughs> oh, my God. When will YouTube learn? <laughs> All righty. Let me see here. What have I got? Um, Here's an underdog for you. Probably one of the it biggest. To, it has to have D. Snyder in it. It has yeah. to have oh, we got, we got shit, man. I really hope to hell there is like a unseen Easter egg D Snyder in this in this film trilogy, because if there were, I think I could die tomorrow happy. Um, I was going to say Frodo in Lord of the Rings. D Snyder is in Lord of the Rings. Shut up. Shut up. Please tell me he really is. God damn it. Was he an elf or something? He had to be an elf, right? He was an elf. He was one of the orcs. (laughs) <laughs> he's that work it's like fresh meat <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> we are so ending this episode on a twisted sister song that is happening let oh, me just yeah. tell you right now <laughs> i mean okay i wasn't one of those people who had uh, read lord of the rings before the films came out i'd heard of it but as far as the story went my movie was the movie viewings were the introduction to all of that for me and yeah. um, just from the first movie, I mean, I enjoyed all of them. They're great films, cinematic uh, masterpieces, perhaps. I'm not sure. But I don't know. When they first get gather around that table and they're deciding what the fuck they're going to do. Like, okay, we need to put a group together. We need to get this ring back and destroy it. And when they choose the smallest, like, most homely, like, dudes to carry the ring. I mean, I, I, I was just waiting for someone to be like wait you mean like i'm an actual warrior like maybe shouldn't i carry that shit but it was it was understood and maybe i'm missing something um i'm not a lord of the rings aficionado but uh son of a bitch he did it i mean it's it's the modern day equivalent of sending a midget into a bar fight like you know (laughs) right and are you putting your money on him <laughs> no, you're giving the midget your wallet to get out. <laughs> so just to just to uh I don't know. I feel like every other member of the fellowship when he, they saw the hobbits walk off with the ring be like, "Oh, oh fuck it. Okay, so we're not taking this seriously." Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, am I wrong? Frodo not an underdog? I mean, I guess we can see from the beginning, since he's going on this mission, he's going to be the one to complete it. But all the same, 
But that's what an underdog story is. An underdog story isn't a, a guy that uh, lives up to being, being uh, sucky. You know, he has to triumph at the end. That's the storyline. You don't have an underdog story where the guy gets his ass kicked at the end. It's like, yeah, see, you should never try it. I guess that's my point is to saying, like, was that, I guess, kind of a missed... Not in the case of Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is classic literature at this point, and it can't be touched. But that same kind of a thing can't be done today because just exactly what you're saying when you lay out the trope like that you automatically know this person's gonna win where you know you're not looking at like a breaking bad thing where fucking anything can happen like every episode's like smacking you across the face like whoa what you know what i mean do you think that's like i totally think so because because it's not about what happens it's about how it happens that is the most important thing whenever creating any story is realizing that and you know sometimes you want the audience to be kind of cued in and kind of know where it's going but you're you're not going to i mean if like every every movie's dour and the guy loses and you know that's not interesting either because the actual the actual movie's about the journey sure you've got to have an awesome or that's a story too a comic whatever you know it's about that journey it's not about the payoff. It's not about the end. It's about that journey you go on. So mm-hmm. it's about the how. It's not about what happens. Sure. I understand that. Maybe I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you picked a great one because, you know, and it's not just Sam or it's not just Frodo. It's Sam, too. It's that right. you take two of the most. And that's why that's why that scene is so beautiful whenever Frodo says he's going to take the ring. And you see. uh Gandalf, like you just see it wash over him and smile and kind of look back. And that's why it has to be them is because they are so unassuming and they have no uh, no uh, pretenses to taking this thing and ruling. Everybody wants to take it and think that they're going to do good with this ring right. and, um, you know, be able to help their own tribe and their own people. Frodo never thinks he's going to take this ring and rule the hobbits, you know, right. Um Sam doesn't even understand the ring or whatever. And that's why it's so beautiful at the end whenever Frodo, whenever Sam says, you know, I can't carry your burden, but I can carry you. God damn, that's a great moment. Yeah. It's such a great moment. And um, that that whole journey that he goes on, and that's the whole point of it, is that you're taking the the least. You're taking the least, the, the most unassuming uh, creatures in that entire Middle Earth. And they become the most important. And that's right. why just that ending is so well, the real ending before there's like 17 other endings. But that ending is so fucking effective. Uh whenever Aragon says, um uh you, you bow, bow to nobody. And and everybody bows to the hobbits. God damn, that's a yeah. great moment. Yeah. You know, you go credits there, everybody's sobbing, you know, as they're walking out out of the theater. Instead of running to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree, man. Like those movies were definitely tear jerkers. They were so good. I I should sit down and read them because I I just hear there's so much more to take from the novels uh, than there are the films. But uh, who's got the fucking time? Honestly, these yeah, days. I, I haven't read them since high school. I just remember anytime there was indented stuff, and I know it this is heresy to anybody that loves those books, but there's like indented stuff where like hobbits are saying, I'm like, skip, skip, skip. <laughs> Go right to <laughs> <laughs> to read a hobbits, you know, singing about whatever they're singing about, about the Shire or about, you know, Gillyweed. I don't give a shit. Right, <laughs> let's to, right. Let's get to the story. I don't need three pages of like lyrics to a song. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, the best part of the, the book series is the whole end part where the hobbits go back to Hobbiton and uh, Saruman and uh, Wormtongue had like taken over and like enslaved the hobbits and the four hobbits like have to rescue them or like not rescue, like basically kick them out essentially. Is this fan fiction? No, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Is that like a fever dream, or I'm pretty sure that's the Again, I've never read it. I don't know. I guess Sean would be the person to ask on this one. I don't recall that happening. <laughs> hey, maybe. All right. Huh? See, this is like a lifetime ago. <laughs> and it, like I said, right. I maybe it was a song. <laughs> I just skipped it. It was invented, so I just skipped it. <laughs> Shit, no, that was important. <laughs> All right, Randy, that brings us back around to you, sir. All right, well, completely other end of the spectrum. I've got a movie uh, for you guys, and I don't know if you've seen this or not. I, I've only seen it a couple of times, but it, it left an impression on me. It's called, uh, the movie's Airheads, and it was in the 1990s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, and Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah, I remember that movie. They are an indie rock band uh, that are trying to get uh, a freaking radio station to play their, their demo, damn it. And uh, the, by the third radio station, when they get like totally like shut down, they decide they're going to like hijack the uh, radio station and uh, take them hostage and make them play everything. And shenanigans ensue. And uh, the two takeaway moments that I remember from that movie was uh, Brendan Fraser when they finally get a when he finally gets a, a contract for his music, he wipes his ass with it. I, I don't know if that I think that was at the end, but before then, when he's trying to like get the crowd all riled up uh, of the onlookers that are surrounding the the uh, building, uh, Lemmy Killmeister's out there, like helping. Uh, they were like trying to put Brendan Fraser's character down, like saying he played Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons and something. So like all the the badass rockers in the crowd are like, oh, I I read to my sister or whatever, and <laughs> out of nowhere, Lemmy Killmeister, I was the editor of the school magazine. <laughs> been a long time since i've seen that <laughs> yeah, great movie i, I should i should uh, watch it with my kids i forgot all about that movie it's, I, it's uh, that movie. makes me think of encino man too but that not just bleeds into like the poly shore catalog which i don't know if you want to show your kids that or not but i mean i enjoy them son-in-law was a blast <laughs> yeah. no we have, we have, uh, i don't think they uh, what i found was like a lot of the things i think was funny in the 90s they freaking hate <laughs> Yeah. They hated Tommy Boy and Dumb and Dumber. They just hated oh. it. <laughs> no kidding. Right. Is that right? For adoption. But you go back and you watch it and you rewatch it and you kind of try to watch it through like their eyes. And it's like, yeah, this humor is kind of, you know, cruel. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of cruelty and in, in, uh, in some, in, you know, 90s humor that, uh, that, you know, younger generations just don't don't get. <laughs> it has to be that same kind of a thing where, like, okay, I, this has happened to me countless times, and I, probably even I've done it to Randy. Where like I've found something hilarious on YouTube, at least I deem hilarious. I'm like, oh my god, you guys gotta see this. I'll turn it on, and it's just a room full of crickets while I'm busting an ass laughing. But at the same time, like when I realize no one's laughing, I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing? Of course they're not going to find this funny. You know what I mean? You don't look at it through those eyes until it's too late. <laughs> I think the only time that really happens with us is when you and Jack get on your uh, Seinfeld, your uh, tangents, and I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm checking out for a minute. 
Yes, another one. They hate Seinfeld, and you look at it, it's like, yeah, they're extremely cruel. You know, um, I guess that kind of cruelty and stuff and humor just doesn't translate to a generation that's taught to be nice to each other. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck, man? <laughs> no, maybe Seinfeld's half the reason I'm as cynical as I am today. I don't know. I put so much stock into it, but. Um... I don't know. It's a good guidebook for life at the same time. There's, I mean, a lot of the people they uh, they put on display in there are real people that we all kind of know in our lives in one way or another. You know what I mean? Oh, not yeah, wrong is what I'm saying. It's it's <laughs> too close a look at the human condition with comedic element put to it, I think. Yeah. Jeremy, Jeremy, I, I didn't mean to put you on the defense about Seinfeld. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, we're talking about the opinions of a 12-year-old and a 16-year-old. So. <laughs> hey, don't rope me into that category. I'm too old yeah, for yeah. that shit. Oh, no, I'm, I'm I know what you mean. Like, there's a huge generational gap with, like, uh, the digital age, man. That's what that's what really freaking did it. And I was I found myself just a few days ago thinking, man, I really wish Instagram and texting and that shit didn't exist. Like, I, I kept thinking back to the day when it was just like, Okay, someone might call on the home phone tonight if someone else is not on the phone. It, but yeah. at the same time, you're not stressing like, why isn't that person texting? Or, you know, this or that, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I still had those stresses. I still remember, you know, waiting for a girl to call that said that she was going to call or whatever. Right, you know? but it wasn't as intense. Like, it wasn't as... And I, I mean, I can't even relate to the girl thing at this point. It's just in general, like anyone you want to talk to, it's just like, why didn't they answer? Everyone's got their fucking phone on them. They surely saw yeah. it. But at the same time, what I see is, uh, I don't know. I see it both ways. I see also see like, uh, you know, the younger generation, especially under 20 and my kids and stuff and all their friends, they're so much more inclusive and so much more kind, you know, right. um, you know, they like, Maybe there is still some bullying, but not like it was when we were kids and not like it was. You wear flannel. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> if you're not playing football and, you know, acting like a jock, you know, you were completely, completely um, bullied and pushed around the, the uh, you know, in the hallways and shit. But, you know, now today, I don't think that goes on as much. There's a lot more like online bullying and stuff like that. And sure, they have their own problems and stuff. But I just see it straight up across the across the board. Like whenever I go into my kid, oh, we're completely off. But this is underdog That's shit, right? That's the point, though. So, That's the point. You, whenever I would go in and I see, you know, I would go in for, uh, and for my kids all the way up until it wasn't cool anymore for them, I guess. Up until like in sixth or seventh grade, I would go in for lunch, you know, once every other month or so and sit there and eat yeah. with them. And just seeing the younger generation, how they treat kids that we would have made fun of. <laughs> Yeah, in the eighties, you know, uh, they're they're far more inclusive and stuff. Maybe it's just you know this area. How, I don't know. Just how old like your child? Let me ask you that. Uh, I I have a twelve year old and sixteen year old. So both at an age where, when we were kids, at either of those ages, if our parents had come to have lunch with us, it'd be like, no, this is a fucking death sentence. You can't do that. Yeah, I will be oh, mocked yeah. for days. We can't do that. Yeah. Don't come near the school. Yeah. Now it's acceptable. No, it, it, uh, well, I mean, like I said, up until about sixth or seventh grade, it was cool. Like I did it all the way from kindergarten all the way up, you know. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to see where their friends were. I wanted to see how they interact with people at school and stuff. So it was fun. 
and 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 the child didn't act in any way like over the shoulder like oh my god someone's gonna see me eating with my dad because that's how i would have been i remember no no it, it, it was actually just the opposite it was like me with all their friends at their table just that's cool as shit you. man that is so freaking cool to hear I, I held on to that as long as possible but you know I, I think I, I lost a year with um, my youngest because of COVID. <laughs> well, yeah. Not by by now she's gonna be in high school. She's going to high school, so that's not gonna be cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's where the lines drawn. High school. <laughs> I, I bet if your old dad shows up with pizza and some soda, it might be a different story, though. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, no, it wouldn't have to be pizza and soda. It'd be like avocado toast and uh, Chipotle or no, I Chipotle glaze or I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the cool kids are eating anymore. I don't even know anymore. Uh, well, see, that shit wouldn't have even flied with us when we were that age it would have had to been like booze and smokes or something for it to be deemed cool even in the slightest amongst your peers i'll bring vape pens and <laughs> i'll do a tiktok dance you're gonna I be a know. fucking hit sean you're gonna be a hit all right oh. see we are about 30 minutes we've got about time for one more uh, that one was spun off randy is that right i think so yeah sean did you have another one you want to mention yeah, I, I thought that's where it, uh, everybody else is going to go. So it was so obvious I wasn't going to mention it. But since no one has, I have to obviously mention it. And it's it's Peter Parker. It's Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Dog time. I don't think that there is anybody else that uh, hits that mantle like, like Peter Parker does. Yeah. Um, and just right from the offset or onset, right from the beginning of that character, the first panel is a kid that's an underdog and the entire story of peter parker is that that the that this underdog is given these fabulous powers and he tries to he, he tries to use them selfishly at first and ends up getting his uncle killed and so then he's just racked with guilt and everything with peter parker if he's not feeling guilty it's not a spider-man book yeah. as soon as spider-man's feeling good about himself you got to kill somebody. You got to kill Gwen Stacy. You got to, you got to, you know, right, put right. Ant-Man in a coma. You got to do something to make Peter feel guilty. Otherwise, it's not a Spider-Man book. And he can't be on the Avengers. I know Bendis put him on the Avengers and stuff. It was fine. But that just didn't, it rung false because Peter is not supposed to be the one that's accepted. The very first issue of Spider-Man and why it's so, I think why it resonated and why the Marvel Age... I know, you know, FF comes first, but, you know, it's that first issue of Spider-Man where Peter's trying to just be on a team. He, like, wants to go be on the FF, and they're like, get yeah. out of here, kid. And then, you know, I think the very first thing, he's trying to stop some bank robbers, and then, and then he webs them up, and the police come and try to arrest him. Right. <laughs> that, that's what set the Marvel Age and, and Spider-Man separate from DC. And I think that's, that's why it works they, that maybe Marvel works a little bit better in movies because it's a, a little bit more of a modern sensibility of storytelling and character design. Uh, I don't mean I mean design as far as like thinking about this character that's an underdog and thinking about this character as someone that immediately isn't uh, a, a blue boy scout hero, you know, and someone that in, in a superhero. I mean, Superman's not going to be dorky and try to get in a wrestling ring to make a couple bucks, you no. know. In, in Spider-Man, it's always like the thing that he's fighting for isn't like to, to save the best Spider-Man stories. 
Swansea, not where he's trying to save the world, but where like, you know, in Spider-Man 33, where he has that huge machine on top of him and he's laying there with that machine crushing him. And the reason he gets up is because he's got to get Aunt May her pills. You know, if Aunt May doesn't get her pills, you know, she's going to die. And then the same thing will happen to her that happened to Ben and it'll be my fault. And so he lifts that entire building up to just be able to take Aunt May her pills, <laughs> you know, that is, that is the greatest underdog story ever. And that's why, like, that's what Sam Raimi clicked on, on uh, the first two movies. You think about that train scene with Doc Ock. Holy oh, yeah. shit. That's oh, yeah. amazing. And just like how everybody reacts to him whenever they see him without his mask on. And they're like, oh, he's no older than my son. And then uh, the, the little kids giving him his mask say, hey, we won't tell him. Oh, my God. That's awesome. You know, he becomes the hero of the the of the underdogs of all right. the 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 blue ca- the blue collar class and the the uh, uh, middle class. You know, he's he's not the the Superman. He's not the Iron Man. He's not the Thor. He's uh, he's just the dude that's trying to do the best that he can. And every time he does, he gets right. kicked down. That is the quintessential underdog story. And, you know, it's all those things you just said that you're absolutely right. Make Marvel so much better than DC. You know, there's a lot of uh, humanity injected into those characters and even the ones that came before uh, Spider-Man. But I think Spider-Man, man, those early issues, especially for the longest time, was... I think disguised as a look as a look at this hero and his adventures, but I think it was truly just a story about the psyche of this kid. You know, yeah, okay, he's I, got this shit to deal with, but the main story, without you ever realizing it or not, is his dilemmas, how he deals with it all. And I, I can remember in um, even like there were what was it uh, the sensational Spider-Man from the eighties. I don't know. There were times that like he would just be, you know, the, the story's well established, been around for years. And you still kind of get that uh, feeling where, OK, the takeaway from, uh, say, the issue was there was a big blowout with Kingpin. Oh, shit, this happened. There was a big fight. But at the same time, at the end of the episode, it was like, well, there was this quick minute where he and Black Cat had this exchange and she seemed to put the moves on him like. How's he going to deal with that? Like my takeaway was bigger with like, again, the mental escape Peter was dealing with than the battle that ensued with Kingpin. Certainly, certainly. And that's one of the things that I was hoping to see with Disney. I mean, they still might, but I doubt it at this point. But I was really hoping that they would do is somebody's going to do this. And maybe X-Men would be the perfect ground for this. But have your 10-part series on Netflix or non-Netflix on Disney Plus. Have those 10 episodes. And then, bam, your finale for that is a theatrical movie. You know, so we deal with all those small little moments and give those more weight in things that you would not see, see him, you know, dealing with Flash Thompson, see him dealing with Black Cat, see him, you know, right. just see him upside down eating a cheeseburger, you know, just just the dumb stuff that Peter does, um, you know, see all those little moments. And same thing with the X-Men, all those moments of X-Men having their downtime, those are and they're playing basketball and shit. Those right. are the best X-Men moments. Those are never going to be in a movie. But I would love to have just an entire episode of, uh, you know, Disney Plus where, you know, they're just playing basketball, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, I don't know. I feel like Disney is trying to come around with Spider-Man, like at the end of uh, No Way Home. 
it seemed like they were like in that those last couple minutes of the film yeah. they were trying to really drop him back into the environment we know him he's swinging around new york we see jonah jameson yelling on the screen but i think sean's probably i mean i i don't, I don't think it's really enough at this point for to have that classic spider-man feel there's no osborne yeah. so i haven't seen oscorp yet in that universe you know there's so much it's that lends that. to that universe yeah it's not just that it's like peter is also about his supporting cast yeah i think you know, they, they spider-man has one of the biggest supporting cast even superman those two have huge supporting casts that are just as important as as the main character you know, and, and seeing their stories and seeing, you know, Robbie's story and Flash's story and, you know, Betty Brandt's story, all those, you know, I'd love to give more, those more weight. One thing I did think was interesting, just as a little quick sidebar too, is, and I never really realized this while reading the run, you know, because I read the entire comic run, but whenever I watched the Invincible cartoon, the TV series, how much it is the uh, Lee Ditko era Spider-Man. How much it's just a bloody oh. version of that, you know? All it is is it's just Lee Kirby, or not, I'm not Lee Kirby, Lee Ditko era Spider-Man, you know? Right. And I really dug that, you know, that they kind of leaned into that too, you know? Well, it's 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 appreciation for what's come before. It's it's understanding your source material. It's respecting it, I think. And I think a lot of so many series have come out uh, in the past ten to twenty years that I don't think uh, really do that <laughs> i mean i remember an mtv I, series for spider-man maybe that was based more in the ultimates universe but um i don't know I, I i know exactly what sean's talking about though all right uh anything else to uh, add to that before we move on that was, no, let's i really enjoyed that comp that spider-man okay. conversation that was damn good you made me fucking think man you made me really think sean <laughs> That's why we like having these people on the show, right? Come on. We're going to jump to a commercial really quick, and when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Sean about Fuhrer and the Tramp. Stay tuned. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. Hi, everyone. If you're looking for a new pop culture podcast and you need something that doesn't set its bar too high or low, then our podcast is for you. I'm Luke, and with me as always is Nick. Join us for our bi-weekly pod centered around all things pop culture related. In our second season, we're talking all things 2021 through to early 2022's films, games, TV shows, and more. We also have our monthly in-depth series. This season, we're focusing on Batman, covering films, comics, animations, and will culminate in the release of The Batman in March 2022. We'll have guests, spoilers, jokes, and the occasional bad language. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at ConsistentlyPod to keep up to date. If you're on Apple Podcasts, subscribe for extra content. Join us every other Wednesday for a consistently okay time. All right, we're back from commercial now, and we were talking with Sean McArdle again of Fury and the Tramp. Sean, thanks so much again for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Now, we've had you, you and uh, John on a few times, creators of this book. And uh, before we dig deep, you know, dig into this at all, you know, I'm sure there are listeners who are listening to this episode for the first time who haven't heard the last two times you were on. Can you uh, tell our new listeners what uh, Fear in the Tramp is? 
Yeah, certainly. <clears throat> it was a, it's a, well, this is a collected version of the five issue mini series that was put out by source point. It's about uh, Charlie Chaplin, uh, another underdog, you know, one of the greatest underdogs, right? Uh, it's the fear or the tramp character. It's about uh, Charlie Chaplin fighting Adolf Hitler and the Nazis while he's making the great dictator. And then he is helped by two of FDR's secret agents, Errol Flynn and Hedy Lamar. And they help him, uh, you know, finish his movie and more importantly, you know, kick some Nazi ass, kick those fascists <laughs> in the face. <laughs> what more of a sales pitch do you fucking need right there? And I can uh, speak firsthand. This is a gorgeous freaking book. Uh, it had my attention from the first time we saw it. Funny, very witty, and the artwork is fantastic. And I feel like the last time uh, we had spoken, you guys had, uh, you were on Source Point Press at the time, maybe mm -hmm. fairly new to that relationship. But I, I feel like you guys had uh, were going through some legal matters with the Chaplin estate that you did uh, get worked out which uh, awesome. <laughs> Glad to hear that. And also, I think the last time we talked, you guys had just been nominated for an Eisner Award. Another huge uh, congratulations to that. And that's fucking amazing. But uh, you mentioned this, uh, this uh, collective that's coming out or maybe already out. Can you tell us about uh, what's new with Fury and the Tramp? Okay, yeah. So um, this is the collective version of the five issues that we put out. It's in color. And I, whenever some of the things, this is my, this is the first book that I've done of my own. I've worked on other people's books, but this is the first book that was my baby that I completely worked on. I should have already known some of these things, but I kind of screwed up. And some of those things was like page counts and trying to fit, fit, fit those page counts into like a trade, especially whenever you have double page spreads. You know, you have a double page spread and that's going to throw off your, your numbering. Like a double page spread, the left page always has to be an even number right page non number sure. so when you start just combining these books that throws off your double page spread so you got to you got to either just have like a blank page in there and i didn't want to do that so i added more story but i can't just add you know i got it's got to be an, an odd number so it either had to be a one or a three page little edition that I would have to add also there were some gaps uh andy schmidt edited was the editor of the book and he pointed out some like some gaps in the storytelling, things that John and I didn't notice that, you know, could have been smoothed out a little bit better, some transitions that could have been, you know, handled a little bit better. So I, I took that as an opportunity to to add some more pages. So this, the, the, the um, basically it's an additional like 22 pages of, uh, oh, wow. of content from, from the, the, from the floppies. Um, and, you know, so that's almost an entire issue really. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot more, a lot more jokes, a lot more goofiness in there. Plus, also, there's a bunch of annotations. Seemed like people really liked my annotations I did in one of the issues. And I used to have up on the website whenever I was first putting it out. And uh, so I kind of rewrote those annotations and just gave a background on my. It, it's something that, I mean, it's something I love to read. I love to read like the Sandman annotations and the annotations of, you know, Watchmen and stuff like that. Not not saying that this book is to that level, but I lo love like reading Don Rosa whenever he did like the annotations for Uncle Scrooge. That's some of my favorite stuff is like, okay, seeing how you kind of, you know, pulled all these threads together and made like real history kind of match this fake history and how yeah. you taking all these illusions and stuff. So I decided to, you know, spill the beans and like, you know, show like how I actually created this thing. And, you know, hopefully somebody can read that and get an idea of how to, how to make a book. And, you know, 
not suffer through some of the mistakes I made, but also, you know, see how you can kind of toy with and play with, you know, history, pop culture, reality, stuff like that. Sure. Sure. And I I think it's probably another good uh, entry point for another level of interest uh, from somebody who may maybe wasn't before. I know me, I I love... uh, hearing the details behind projects, even if it isn't necessarily a project I'm super into like that. I love the creative process. And even if it's something, even if the end result isn't something that uh, I typically would gravitate toward, if that makes sense at all. Oh yeah, certainly. So I, I, I think that can do, can't do anything but help you. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting concept. Again, it's so fucking gorgeous. I haven't even seen it in color yet. I've only seen it in black and white. And you're talking about now doing all these, you know, extra uh, uh, pages and stuff. I would imagine this collective being very much like the Lord of the Rings extended cut box sets that came out later. <laughs> yes and no. But what I did was yes and no. And I try to keep that in mind. I always think about that. Anything that I want to add additional to it, there's got to be an emotional resonance there. It can't just be padding. Right. So gotcha. there has to be a joke. There has to be something funny. Uh, it's, it, there's got to be some some extra weight that I add to the scene. Like one of the things was, you know, uh, the, Charlie's studio is sabotaged and is burnt down. And, you know, I immediately moved from that right back into the action of fighting Nazis and stuff and didn't give him time to sit there and feel the weight of the studio that he built himself and feel the weight of that thing that, 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 that happened to him. So, you know, um, they added like three or four pages of that, of him sitting there, you know, seeing the fire and dealing with that, but still did it in like an emotionally resonant way. They kind of, they kind of get felt to me, it gave him more impetus. And also at the same yeah. time, part of the story is he's, you know, a, a little bit of the back matter is that, you know, it's the great dictator. Uh, it comes out in 1940. It's the first movie for real. First movie that Charlie Chaplin did not play the tramp. You know, right. first speaking movie that he had where he actually spoke. And he portrays Adolf Hitler. He plays a fake version of Hitler called Hinkle and makes fun of Hitler. Uh, um, it, it's so courageous for him to be doing that in 1940. Yeah. Like while he's making that movie, they invade the, the Nazis invade France. You know, it was very, very fresh and very new. But at the same time, I try to put my my head in that mind space of what I thought he might be and then still throw it in this adventure. And, and But, you know, it's like he's moving into a new medium. He's moving into a new era. He's losing the tramp. And the tramp is, you know, basically he never plays the tramp again. So the, this character he created and lived in for like 30, 25 years, you know, is basically put to rest. And then, you know, he moves on. And so I kind of wanted to cover that ground, that that it gets kind of picked apart a little bit at a time while all this high adventure stuff is going on. While he, you know, so for instance, to show that it's not like some kind of pretentious, like he's losing the tramp, is like a shark eats his hat, you know? So it's shit <laughs> like that, you know? But each little thing is taking a piece away from the, from the tramp. His studio gets burned down, you know? Every every little piece is is removing him and making him learn to adapt and sure. become become more actualized. And it's kind of hard for him to do so at the same time whenever he's right up against Errol Flynn, who's just freaking awesome. <laughs> like in real life, that dude, he was a scoundrel. He was oh yeah, probably, he was me tooed back then. They me tooed him in the thirties. That's how bad this. That's was. severe shit. But I mean. 
he was pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> I can't. Wasn't like, he's he's awful, awful human being, but so fucking amazing at the same time. <laughs> I think he's the uh, entire reason that Abbott and Costello broke up in real life. Didn't he like? Oh, really? Start. I I, I think it was Errol Flynn. Like he, he invited them and their his, their families over, and I believe he showed them some type of like semi pornographic movie or something. And I forget <laughs> one of the the wives like totally wigged out, and it caused like this big rift between the two. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was Errol. That kind of tracks. Oh, they did all kinds of crazy shit. Like his best friend was Daryl uh, Douglas Fairbanks, and Douglas Fairbanks mm-hmm. or. Chaplin's best friend is Douglas Fairbanks. Douglas Fairbanks dies, and I could not find a way to fit this in. I kept trying to fit this into the story. He dies right at, at in like 1940, right whenever this story's going on, right whenever Chaplin is making the great dictator for real. I could never find a way to fit that in without slowing down the story. But basically, it is part of that is like he was the new Douglas Fairbanks. But the reason I bring this up is just to give you an idea of what the kind of shit they were doing. Like, is it David Nenevin um, took Douglas Fairbanks' corpse and brought it to Errol Flynn's house and sat it in his chair for Errol Flynn to come home and find Douglas Fairbanks dead sitting there in a chair in his living room? That's the kind of shit they were doing. They were just like crazy, like pranksters and kind of awful people, but still kind of awesome. (laughs) Errol Flynn was like the OG frat boy. I mean, he really was. He totally was. That's all he was the entire time. He could have been in <laughs> Seinfeld. I mean, again, that's why we like that show, right? Awful people. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, you know, like he did all of his own stunts, his own sword fighting and stuff like that. So I tried to pay tribute to that in the book and show him as being like, you know, amazing and capable and awesome. And Charlie's just basically getting by by the, you know, the skin of his teeth. Like he's just fumbling his way through. It's right. like. Trying to, it's like having a buddy team up movie with like Jackie Chan and like fucking Jet Li. You know? <laughs> Jet Li is just fucking awesome. Yeah. Jackie Chan's awesome too, but you know, he's just barely, they, they have very different dynamics in their right, right. Styles, you know, it's kind of like that, if that analogy makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, totally oh, does. And then, you, you're, and then you're bringing in Har- Heidi Lamar, which yeah. not a lot of people know, like she was a freaking genius. I mean, she's, yeah. you know, part of the reason we have wi-fi now yep 100 percent. so yeah hedy lamar she was a um she was a hungarian actress and she was a, she was jewish and she was married she was some of the things was like she had the first on-screen orgasm um in a movie called ecstasy over there and then she married this guy that was like a uh uh i think a munitions baron or something and maybe it's austria i think it was austria the uh the, the nazis used to have parties there and she knew hitler and shit you know well she had she escaped him because he was awful he's an awful human being was and you know was really like um basically keeping her hostage imprisoned and so she escaped with all of her all of his jewelry that he bought for her she she put all of it on and dressed up as a maid and snuck out of the house while he's drunk and having a party and then escaped to the United States and um, well, to England, to the United Sta- States. Uh, she met, she already had a plan to meet, uh, oh, who was it? It wasn't Warner Brothers. It was Louis B. Mayer. Met Louis B. Mayer in uh, London and then they went to, to Hollywood. So she already had this kind of really rich backstory. The thing was, she was known as the most beautiful woman in Hollywood or most beautiful woman in the world at that time in the 30s. But she kind of resented it. What I found when I was reading her autobiography and reading and really getting into 
the, the characters and getting into her especially is like how much she resented being known as being beautiful. She wanted to be known as being mm-hmm. smart and intelligent. And yeah. she has something like a hundred inventions that are patented. Mm-hmm. One of them became Wi-Fi. She was a genius and um, she was hoping to parlay uh, her movie career into helping her do you know other things that she was more interested in. And she kind of did not like the the roles that Hollywood was giving her. Uh, and I mean, she was she was up for Scarlett O'Hara. She was up for uh, basically Casablanca is made to become because of Algiers, a movie that she made that is basically a Casablanca four years before Casablanca. And she was supposed to she was the first choice to be in Casablanca. But the problem was she she just like it, it seemed to me that she kept getting in way of herself because she did not like to. Well, also, she was being, you know, probably me too and stuff, you know, they're, the, the, the way the Hollywood system was back then. And she wasn't playing ball with them. And uh, but also she did not like to be typecast as just that beautiful woman that had no brains, you know. Right. So uh, so that's why I gravitated to her. I just love that 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 about her. And uh, so I was looking for like a Luke Leia Han dynamic. So, you know, Charlie could be my Luke. You know, of course, yeah, I got your scoundrel, but that that's just freaking awesome that everybody wants to be an Errol Flynn. And then, but uh, of course, it's Leia or Hedy Lamar that's the one that's always saving the day, that's actually sa- getting the boys in, out of trouble and, you know, getting the, you know, jumping to the uh, garbage chute flyboy. You know, she's, she's saving the boys. She's the one that's doing it. So um, that was, that's what I was working at, was that kind of trying to find that triangle. So I went through a bunch of different characters. And so I found the two people that could line up with her or with Chaplin. And yeah, that's where I landed. Oh, man. Awesome. I have to do I, some research on Hedy Lamar. It would seem. Oh, man. She's awesome. Well, there, there's a, there's a, um, uh, a documentary called bombshell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On Showtime. I, I can't remember. I saw it on Showtime. I, I think it's I'm on Netflix now because that's where okay, I, I watched it. it on Showtime. So, um, I like, I know it was on Showtime because I like did the month subscription just to watch that wow. <laughs> as I was writing this, you know, I'm excited. So, That's yeah. interesting as shit, man. I had no idea about all that stuff. No idea. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of like a little bit forgotten, but now she's getting her. What happened was they, they uh, declassified a bunch of documents in the two thousands. And so a lot of the stuff that she worked on for the U S government was classified. And then once they, declassified then everybody's like holy shit Hedy Lamar's the one that invented Wi-Fi <laughs> yeah wow yeah she was doing like a bunch of government work I think yeah if I remember correctly yeah it was it was crazy incredible yeah again I'm gonna be watching that so Randy had also said uh something about a new Kickstarter uh is soon oh, to be coming up well I'm trying to see that that keeps that's in flux that keeps changing so I have a book that I'm working on we're about 140 pages and of art done and uh, De- Dexter has a uh, Dexter Wee as my artist on it. The same artist as in uh, Fear and the Tramp. So we're working together again. We 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 have a, a you know five issues complete. We're going. We were talking about doing a Kickstarter for the first issue, but I just got an agent. <laughs> I, I just landed a literary agent. So that's kind of taking a different direction now. We're I was talking to him today. We're putting together the pitch and. I, this this is like huge for me because this is the part I suck at. Obviously, if you've been listening to this, I cannot sum things up. I, I that's why I don't use Twitter. I can't do a hundred <laughs> whatever. 
like I keep saying with a pitch, it's like, I can't write a pitch. If I could write a pitch, I wouldn't need the whole five issues to tell the goddamn story. (laughs) (laughs) What it sounds like to me, though, is uh, you're moving uh, from independent to big leagues, my friend. I mean, if you're going from uh, appealing to an independent market, which has helped so much, and now you are just that with an agent selling pitch, man, that's shit. I wish I could say that. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thanks, buddy. I, you know, I, I what really clinched it was I started talking. I, I was talking to him about another project. I'm working with uh, an, uh, with Sean Koss. He uh, uh, the agent represents Sean Koss, and um, uh, Sean Koss is an is, a, is an artist. Um, he and he was we're working on a book together, and so he wanted me to pitch the agent. So I pitched the agent the book that we're working on together, and then you know I'm writing it and doing layouts, and Sean's illustrating it. Pitch it to the the, um, the agent, and the agent asked me what else I was working on, and so I pitched him this story, which is basically I want to do for werewolves what Bram Stoker did for vampires. You know, I fucking that, yes. I want to create that titular werewolf. You know, think about it. If I if I was if this is Family Feud and we have like name a vampire and there's like there's only one answer up on the on the board, right? right. All the all the numbers, all, all the whatever the Family Feud. I don't know what they give you dollars or whatever. All of it is Dracula. You know, right. <laughs> isn't one, and that's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> okay, now I, I don't I don't know if my reputation's preceded me, but I'm a huge Halloween nerd, as Jeremy will attest, and I've yeah. got one question for you on yeah, this yeah, yeah. book. So oh. which of the three paths are you going to go down with this? Are you going like Native American? Are you going like traditional Romanian? Or are you doing like Werewolf in London where it's some fucking flower? I am going that the first werewolf was Nebuchadnezzar. If you read the book of Daniel and in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in Jewish, I, in, this is back whenever I was like in, in like, you know, I was, you know, in Christianity and I was like, you know, freaking take, going, going to Bible studies and stuff. Same. And yeah, I, I feel you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like we're in this Bible study with a bunch of other, you know, Christians and stuff, reading this thing about Daniel and read the thing about where Nebuchadnezzar gets sent out because of his hubris, gets cursed by, by God to go out into the wilderness for seven years to, to roam as a wolf. And, um, and so, in this book that we were like studying about this says that in Jewish tradition holds that he's the first lycanthrope and like nobody else in this Bible study can pronounce it. They're like Lichintra and then whatever they're trying to pronounce. I'm like, I raise my hand. I'm like, it's lycanthrope. <laughs> it means that Nebuchadnezzar is a werewolf. <laughs> That's the most awesome thing I've ever heard in my life. This is the best thing I've ever read in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar is a werewolf. <laughs> That's awesome. So that's been in my head for like 20 years as I've been trying to put this story together and figure out how do you make a story about that? And I kind of got it now and I'm kind of figuring out, well, yeah, I'm like, you know, uh, 150 pages into it, but you know, it's, it's, I'm trying to do a Dracula. I want that. I want to show like how, if you think about when Dracula was written, it's like, um, it was, it's about modernity. It's about Mm -hmm. modern science fighting ancient evil is really yes, absolutely. We see that now because it's all quaint it all it's all of it's old but at the time van helsing represents science he's a doctor he's you know they're, they're they have blood transfusions that they're giving uh um uh, lucy uh right. because that, that that's a whole new technology that they're using um uh 
but they're recording on a record player and yep. kind of, you know they're, they're 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 like recording their their transcripts and stuff you know mm-hmm. they're they're all everything that they're doing in that book is like cutting edge science versus an ancient vampire kind of doing the same thing i just want this like it's this ancient evil Latching, latching onto like they they use Vlad the Impaler or Bram Stoker used Vlad the Impaler, so I'm using Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and there's this ancient evil that's been kind of, you know, um, fucking around all the two twenty five thousand twenty five hundred years, and you know because I think that there's something resonant in that. When you think about it too, the more I start peeling back the layers of that, Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar are like ground zero. They're in the Fertile Crescent. That is like the beginning of culture. That is the beginning of society is right there. Babylon is the beginning of it. Babylon, and even under Nebuchadnezzar, they invent astronomy. They invent mathematics. They invent uh, the, the the first law code. They uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the things that we have today can be traced right back to there. Uh, you know, agriculture has started there. You know, two thousand years prior to Nebuchadnezzar. That is like the beginning of society. So you have this king that represents that society and that he's a werewolf, that he is uncivil, that he that he has that society and the, the separation between man and beast ripped down and goes back into the bestial every, you know, three nights out of the month. That's kind of interesting. That's really interesting to kind of juggle those two things, that you can be the guy that created society and still, like, fucking go savage, you know? <laughs> I would have to Bro, agree. It, it, as somebody that's read Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think, six times now, that's when so you funny. get when you get that ready, I, I, I need to read it. You got to let me know where I can get it because I will buy it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing the same thing. Like, it's – so we, we, we kind of – Godfather to it, you know? It's like we see, like – Parts of Nebuchadnezzar back in the day, like in, you know, 585 BCE. And then we see like today because in that area today is Iraq. It's fucking Iraq. It's Baghdad. That Baghdad is built on, you know, uh, on Babylon. You know, the, the Saddam Hussein himself concerned himself to be re- Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated and like rebuilt Nebuchadnezzar's palace, you know. So dealing with a lot of that shit, too. And, you know, um dealing with modernity and you know that ancient ancient like barely coming into civilization the very uh you know creation of civilization so playing with those two things and now so so it becomes about like generational trauma too how we are built on these that's that's our foundation and that our foundation has always been trauma (laughs) you know and that like all of us are inheriting trauma from our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents and how far back how many things that you have yourself that you struggle with i know i struggle with go back to like 200 years ago something that fucking happened to my great 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 grandfather and is encoded on my you know dna uh i mean they're finding that now so all those things I find interesting, and I try to throw that into a fucking werewolf book. <laughs> and then have some savage well. werewolves ripping shit up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll play out well, and I, I'm very interested to hear it. I mean, that sounds interesting as shit and extremely original, so I think many people would take to it. So as far as, like, checking you out, I mean, I know there's the thefuhrerinthetramp.com. We have you on social media, and I've got to say this is one of the best handles ever, Sean Luke McCard. It's the best. Oh my god. god damn it. I was going to use that as my pen name, but everybody made fun of me and then I got insecure and I didn't do it. No. I was like, 
I'm going to change my name. I'm going to use my pen name as Sean Luke McCard. <laughs> you should do it. It's pretty freaking cool. Not that uh, Sean McCardle isn't, but uh, I'm just saying. All of my friends made fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just just start the book series, man. Me. What's that? So just start using it on the book series, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, it's always a fucking blast to have you here. And uh, thank oh, you so much for stopping in. This conversation thanks, has been amazing. Love the work you're doing. Uh, it's good because, as people can tell, you're passionate about what you're writing about. It goes a long way when you're, uh, when you're being creative. So uh, very excited, man. Thank you so much uh, for the enthusiasm you put into your work. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Randy, tell me what we have on the website, sir. Go to cannedairpodcast.com. Check out uh, all our previous episodes. Check out merch. Patreon links on there. Uh, check us uh, out our Hall of Heroes, our special guests. And if you're interested in coming on the show, uh, go to the uh, Contact Us page and uh, shoot us a message. And find us on Twitter at CandarePod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And again, that Patreon page, uh, you can. there's a link on CandarePodcast.com. Uh, extra content for a little bit of scratch every month. Or if you want to just get a t-shirt, just rep us on a mug or a shirt or a tote bag, whatever it might be. Uh, head over to CandarePodcast.com. Uh, what else, Randy? Anything? Uh, if you're in Central Ohio, September 25th, the Port Gaming Expo, T-O-R-G-Events.com. All right. I think that wraps everything up in a nice little package. And we're going out on some Twisted Sister. We're not going to take it. How's that work? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Sounds great. (laughs) Thank you, D. Snyder. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And I'm Sean McArdle. Always remember to be excellent, everyone.
puppy. Nice puppy. Oh, no. Don't run. It'll only make things worse. Mutt. Remember, you never want to approach a stray dog, especially one that's foaming at the mouth. Get away from the animal as quickly as you can and tell a grown-up. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! This has been a Canned Air production. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.